Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's June 6th, 1985, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. After World War II, millions of refugees were displaced, soldiers were finding their way home, families were burying their dead. So perhaps it isn't surprising that notorious Nazi doctor Joseph Mengele escaped to South America. But perhaps more surprising was the 40-year manhunt to bring him to justice failing so spectacularly, a fact underlined today in history in 1985 when police in Sao Paulo dug up the grave of a man named Wolfgang Gerhardt, later proven to be Mengele, who drowned at a beach resort at the age of 68. Yeah, so the Brazilian police were acting on information that they'd received from German authorities and they removed the skeletal remains rather clumsily, but they managed to get them back in sufficient shape that uh, within a few days, six forensic scientists from the United States were looking at them. And the leader of that group, Dr. John Fitzpatrick, came to the conclusion alongside groups from a staggering number of countries, I guess because at this stage everyone was interested if this was uh, you know, one of the sort of the key Nazis or not. He had declared that within a reasonable degree of scientific certainty, Certainty they'd found their man. Yeah, it wouldn't be until 1992 that DNA testing was able to confirm Mengele's identity. But at the time, there was a lot of scepticism about whether they had the right guy. Even the head of Israel's war crimes unit told the LA Times, I don't take these things seriously. I'm convinced it's not true. And I think it's because by this time, partly thanks to the work of high-profile Nazi hunters like Simon Wiesenthal, who was really involved in search for Mengele as well, you know, the idea of hunting down Nazis had taken on the identity of being a bit of a romp in a weird way. I think there was sufficient distance from the actual atrocities themselves that people are now looking at this as sort of something that was almost a bit of fun, a bit of an adventure in South America. And so the war crimes units in Israel and West Germany had all been swamped with spurious fake tip-offs about people who might be Nazis in disguise living a new life in the sun. But also, I think there was embarrassment. You know, I mean, the likes of Simon Wiesenthal and Mossad were very proud of the Nazis they had managed to capture. Mm. And this was the highest profile one to have evaded them for decades, to the point that there were thrillers about it. And as I said in my introduction, it's, it's excusable that he was able to escape Europe the first time round. Obviously, the Nazis had plenty of friends, not least in Italy, which meant that he was able to get on a boat. But what's bizarre is that there was certainly a period in the middle, if you like, because he was on the run for the last 20 years, but there was a period in the middle where he was brazenly living in Mm. Argentina as Joseph Mengele and even visited his son. I mean, his son didn't know that it was his father. He said it was his uncle. But nonetheless, he got to see him face to face in Switzerland, go back to Argentina. He was in the phone book as Joseph Mengele (laughs) and no one seemed to catch him or notice. He even went to the West German 
embassy to get a passport. There was a moment where he adopted the pseudonym Jose Mengele. <laughs> it's like, that's fairly slim as, when it comes down to it. But worth sort of revisiting who he was. He was appointed personally by Heinrich Himmler, and he was the chief doctor of the Auschwitz death camps in Poland. Uh, he uh, wore distinctive white gloves and supervised the selection of Auschwitz's incoming prisoners uh, for either torturous labour or immediate extermination, shouting either right or left as he decreed personally. And he also was then involved in what he regarded as the furthering of his uh, medical career by publishing this, inverted commas, groundbreaking work, where he basically experimented on Jewish prisoners in really very horrible ways in the guise of medical treatment, but it was, you know, torture at best. Yeah, and it's the, it's the torture and the pleasure in the torture that's particularly uh, distressing, isn't it? So he was particularly interested in twins. Mm. Um, so, for example, things like sewing together twins to make them conjoined, sharing a liver and kidney with no anaesthetic during the surgery just to see what would happen. I mean, inevitably, obviously, they'd die. Um, but he was interested in this research and he managed to guise it all up as, no, I need to do this because if we're going to further the pure Aryan race, then we need to see all these genetic anomalies and what happens if you do this and that, which was, of course, complete bullshit. Mm. And it's just just because he was interested to see what would happen if I did this particularly dark and distressing thing to these people that we've already oppressed. I mean, that was the pleasure that he got out of it. It's also horrible that he then leveraged some of that medical understanding to his new life when he tried to create a cover for himself uh, across South America. He actually practiced as a, a, a doctor, sometimes doing comparatively underground abortions uh, and sometimes being a bit more overt about it. The way that he ended up in Brazil was that he was put in touch with a Nazi supporter called Wolfgang uh, Gerhard. And there in Brazil, he met up with these Hungarian expatriates called the Stamas, and they helped him to start up up this farm together. But eventually they realised who he was. But Gerhard uh, persuaded the couple not to report Mengele's location to the authorities by convincing them basically that they were now implicated for harbouring a fugitive. Eventually they parted ways, Mengele and this family, and Wolfgang Gerhard, he actually went back to Austria and he left his identity card with Mengele. And that's how Mengele gradually became the guy whose headstone he he ended up lying beneath. At this point, though, he had kind of run out of money because he did come from a wealthy family. There was the Mengele company in Germany that was still active. They were able to cover for him when he left. They kept in touch with him. They had a great salesman in Latin America. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, he is kind of relying on the kindness of Nazis, really. (laughs) That notorious attribute. (laughs) 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 And... You know, because he never changed his views. He never regretted what he did. And during this period, we now have access to letters and diaries that he wrote. He was justifying why Jews appeared to have cultural achievements despite being an inferior race, for example. This is something he wrote in the 80s. Quote, they always lived with peoples of a high cultural level, like Moses in Egypt, Einstein in Swabia, Mendelssohn in Germany or Disraeli in England. Um, <laughs> so he was still kind of contorting himself yeah. to, to justify why his beliefs from the 1930s still had traction. I think that's why we hang out with Rebecca, isn't it, Ollie? <laughs> I'm bringing you guys up to that elevated level. You of sure are. <laughs> 
Uh, and by this point, he was being sheltered by Wolfram and Lisolette Bosse. Oh, these were a right pair, weren't they? Weren't they an absolute piece of work? They were an Austrian couple. <laughs> they were much younger than him. And they were... <laughs> After all of this happened, so basically Mengele's fate had been a bit of a mystery uh, until 1985 when the West German police raided the home of their friends and they found these letters to and from Mengele and one of them was from Wolfram Bossert reporting his death. The Brazilian police then interrogated the Bossets who confessed that they'd arranged the burial and they were just openly flogging their memories and mementos of Mengele to the highest bidder. I mean, they didn't... The weird thing was it, it wasn't even like they came out and said, and we were huge fans of the Nazi regime. I mean, they obviously weren't particularly opposed to it but it wasn't necessarily that they hid him out of loyalty they really wanted to just they were selling their interviews to the highest bidder Lizalette the wife she told police that she had faked about a hysteria because the cemetery administrator wanted to open the coffin and look at Wolfgang Gerhardt who had been a friend so she faked this bout of hysterics so that he wouldn't open the casket and see that it was actually Mengele inside I mean they were really I mean I don't know why I'm surprised that the couple who sheltered Joseph Mengele weren't very nice but they were just <laughs> incredibly brazen. So the way that they identified that it might be Mengele that were, that had been buried in Brazil um, is a German in Paraguay, Gert Luck, sent a prisoner in West Germany, Manfred Rode, who is the leader of a neo-Nazi movement known as the German Action Group, a letter that was intercepted, of course, because what do you do when you've got a neo-Nazi leader in prison in Germany? You read their mail. <laughs> and the letter said, uncle died sometime before on a beach in Brazil. Mengele had often told people to call him uncle, so it wasn't too difficult to crack this code. The problem then was, OK, so Mengele's in Brazil, he died on a beach. Which beach? There's a lot of beach in Brazil. Well, and at this point, they had been looking for Mengele for 20 years. At first, it had initially been assumed that he had died. He was mentioned in the Nuremberg trials, but I think, you know, those infamous Nazi reputations would develop over time as more records and testimonies came forward and these figures became more publicised. And they just assumed that Mengele had probably died. This all started to unravel in 1959 when Simon Wiesenthal and Hermann Langbein, who were both former camp inmates turned Nazi hunters, they discovered the record of Mengele's divorce from his first wife who didn't want to accompany him to South America. This proved not only that he hadn't died in the final days of the war, but it also gave his address as Buenos Aires. So for, you know, the 20 years between then and his death, he was being searched for. West Germany had successfully applied for extradition. Mossad agents were following him and they got really close to him a few times. In fact, once they did have a sighting of someone that almost certainly was Mengele. It was in the right place. Yeah, it's crazy how close they got. I mean, literally face-to-face -face mm. and still didn't capture him. At this point in 1985, though, there was a $2.375 million price on his head, although he was dead, so that wasn't really relevant anymore. When they found his body, one of the giveaways, because as you said, this was before DNA testing could prove it was him, was that he was buried with his arms at his side, which was SS tradition, rather than folded to form a cross, mm. which would be what you'd normally do with a Christian burial in Brazil. One little detail that I quite like is that his skeleton is now stored at the Sao Paulo Institute for Forensic Medicine, where it's used as an educational aid during forensic medicine courses at the University of Sao Paulo. And now, look, vengeance is an ugly emotion, obviously, but there's a form of poetic justice about seeing Mengele's skull being used to teach people the skills to track down other bad people. <laughs> Tomorrow. Dancers in brightly feathered costumes posed as lotus flowers and showered the audiences with spritzes of perfume. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. 